This poem is called Elders Rage at the Water Spirits After a Shootout. Reflection on the lake is a ripple that eats then spits out an outline of the woods. The women in black dip their old tambourines and blur away from it. The old men tie their suits into knots and blur away from it. The people join and move their hands to deny his name in the cold the water spirit brought us. Mm. The water spirit will not bring us home. They wash the memory of blood and ice and cry power in the darkness. The water spirit will not bring us home. Hums turn to shouts and chants rewoven in moans playing scales, the squirrel bounce. The water spirit will not bring us home. Frogs jump a beat back from their hand claps. Night bugs swarm but cannot trace steps in an array of burying grounds of shadows and spirits in the water. The juba clap is the overriding veil of straight sirens in funeral pyres. The gunshot at night is the eleventh plague, so they part this iteration of the sea. Mm. The water spirit brought us. The water spirit will not bring us home. I'm going to do an introduction. I don't do one all the time, but this is a very special episode. You're an author of um, poetry books, The Homeboy Songs and Up South, which is where that poem just came from. Um, a former Jack Straw Fellow, Artist Trust Fellow, um, Stranger Genius Award nominee, writer, performer, cultural criti critic, uh, dank meme creator, um, a Bellingham and Pacific Northwest legend. Uh, Robert Lashley, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. <laughs> Up South, I, I mean, I think uh, hopefully you're not horribly exhausted of talking about that book. No, I'm not. Um, I feel that not that many people in poetry scenes have talked about it. So I'm really glad to talk about it now. I, um, I wanted to write a book um, about the elders in my community. I had my first book, The Homeboy Songs, was me, my, to quote James Baldwin, vomiting the anguish up mm. of basically my book of just kind of processing Hilltop, processing growing up in the 90s, processing growing up when it was a breathtakingly stressful place to live and, bre and, and breathtakingly dangerous place to live. And I, um, this book um, was me wanting to go deep into my own history and go deep into folklore and go deep into how other cultures used history and folklore. Mm. Like one of the things that I like to do is call and response mm -hmm. and kind of use it in different ways and use it in, in uh, like that, that has its roots in the black church, but it also has roots in, in, in the, um, the poet of uh, um, Vicente Huidobro and the the um, Latin American modernist, and I wanted to um, branch out and 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 test myself as a writer. Mm. What happened to this book was a couple of things that I uh, think the first thing that happened was I couldn't tour as much as I wanted to because my family died. Oh. And 
they um, and that changed me forever. Um, thing I learned about death is that um, if you just with somebody and you love is gone, it changes you. You like you, you part of you goes with them, mm-hmm. and losing my family within the span of a year. Wow. I'm still um, trying to to like like I'm not the, the the sort of the same person that I used to be. Wow. And the second thing that happened was it. I think I'm just going to uh, lay it out. I think that Pacific Northwest poetry became too fragmented. Mm. And to you had people too set in their own scenes and set in their own set set in their own cliques, mm-hmm. and I think this book was a little too messy and a little bit too muddy and a little bit too complicated for the sort of social media poetry that every side um, in quote unquote poetry wars wanted. Mm. And I think that I was, I think, I think that I was, because um, so much of, like, the conversation about me on social media and poetry in the last three years, has been about something that I had said that was either too militant or not woke enough. Mm. Um, I think that um, if you took a poll on Facebook and Twitter mm-hmm. as into who is the quote-unquote most conservative and most militant poet mm. among the fragmented um, among the fragmented scenes in Pacific Northwest poetry I win, I'd win them both mm. um, one of the worst things you can do but the, th- the thing you have to do but one of the hardest things to do in as a liberal it's called balls and strikes. Mm-hmm. Um, is kind of like have a sort of strike zone where it's just like, you know, you're too woke for somebody, or just not woke enough for somebody else. But just try to have the sort of strike zone of ethics. Right. I don't, I'm sorry if I'm raining. No, no, no. That's what we're here for. I guess I, I'm, I'm curious about all these fragmented poetry communities, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I'm just like, um, I guess, get, getting to the root of that problem, or I guess, like, do you, I guess, see that or recognize that as a problem? And then, and then what are some things that could perhaps help that? It's a terrible problem, and it makes a lot of people really hate poetry. Yeah. I think that a lot of poets um, have to go through, like, I'm not saying a lot of I'm not saying everybody. Mm-hmm. But I think that... And you look at social media, and you look at controversies. Mm-hmm. A lot of poets need to look go th- need to try to ask themselves some questions. Does this need to be said? Mm-hmm. Am I the one that should say it? Very important question. And should this be said right now? Mm-hmm. And the idea and just kind of. Central to that is, as I seeing the need to annihilate people, like via comments mm-hmm. 
on the on the account that make mistakes. Yeah. Or if if they make a mistake. Yeah. And I think there's two con- there's two conversations. I you know, I I believe that people need to like if people do egregious things, or people are egregiously cruel or abusive, they need to be called on it. And I think that people like wave wrap themselves up in social media victimhood. Mm, definitely. Um um, when they're called on their messed up behavior, I also think that if somebody does a poem that isn't your that isn't your style, mm-hmm. I think that they shouldn't be canceled. I I agree, and I I think that there's um, maybe sometimes where certain ideas are just being explored and worked through through poetry and and maybe people don't agree with those ideas and we'll put an x on it and it's like well that we're not you know it's not and especially in this time in your life this is the time for for young writers to bounce ideas off the Mm -hmm. wall to test things to form yourself Mm -hmm. like somebody isn't really like like how old are you I'm 22. You got three years before your brain's fully formed. Mm-hmm. Means you're working through some shit. Yep. <laughs> and the idea of the absence of grace on in on in social media circles, and on, on both on all sides, the absence of grace is something that I that, that I've been really tired of in regards to poetry for a very long time. Mm-hmm. That, that you, sh- you should be allowed to pose questions and pose ideas without people automatically saying, I don't agree with that, let's not. When it's like, it's, it's art, it's more complicated, it's not black and white. Yeah. And on the other side, um, you know, I'm also very tired of being called a social justice warrior. Mm-hmm. Like every time that you show a sort of a moral code about something reprehensible. Mm-hmm. So I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm pretty exhausted. How, how, how do we try to combat that kind of climate that's going on right now? To try to listen to people and, and, and try to see people from, try to, try to, to try to see people's perspective and try to, you know, give people chances, but also try to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. If somebody can't, like, and like, I have, I have like, litmus test Mm -hmm. if a writer is proven um, if a writer has information that shows that they're wrong and it showed to them Mm -hmm. and they keep saying it I turn them off Mm. so I I just but just to try to to try to give to try to meet people halfway Mm -hmm. and try to and also as a as writers to try to just read 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 and and just kind of like understand that like one of the most annoying things in the world is the poetry canonical flex what's that this poem ain't good enough cause I mean like my shit mm. everybody gotta get better mm-hmm. and like I gotta get better oh so many people gotta get better right and it's just, and it's, sometimes it's just so ridiculous mm-hmm. to see, like, 
quote-unquote nature poets do it on slam poets, nature poets who, you know, have spent more time typing a poem than, than, than thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And then slam poets doing it too. Um, um, form poets and the form poets doing it to slam poets. And I'm thinking all this, all this energy should be spent on, you know, improving your craft. Right. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I, not, not to, not to toot my own horn here, but I think, um, like, sort of podcasting is, is, is a great medium for that reason because you have these, like, long-form dialogues and it can help see people for more than, like, a short post on social media. You're absolutely right. So that's great. Going back to Up South, um, I think m- much of your, of your writing is kind of these dark, um, quirky, sometimes humorous explorations of, of trauma or things that have long weighed on your mind. Um, and I, I guess, um, why, why do you think that you often come back to those ideas and, and what di- dictates the tone that you use to write about certain things? I consider myself a bluesologist. Mm, I like that. Um, I try to alchemize deep sadness into things that I try to alchemize it into like aesthetic beauty, mm. which um, Ellison, Ralph Ellison, and Albert Murray called um, the blues aesthetic. Mm-hmm. That a blues man is. They said blues man, but it can be a blues singer. They were of their time. Um, that blues singer is singing a sad song, mm-hmm. but the technique, the effort, and the dedication is triumph. Um, that I try to quote that in the poetry. Mm. Trying to find the right word and try to find you know the discipline and and and, and craft it into and to, to make it triumph, make it sad. Subject to triumphant thing. There's this, there's this mantra, you know, kind of cheesy, but you've talked about, um, and throughout the book too, um, a lot of your your family members are kind of characters woven throughout it. Um, so, so the mantra, you know, what's what's bad for the heart is good for the art. Would you agree with that, or do you hate that? How do you feel about that kind of idea? Sometimes it's true, and sometimes it isn't. Mm-hmm. What's bad for the heart is good for the art, but not when you're living it. Yeah. I can't write about my mom's death. Um, I can't write about my uncle's death. Right. I can't write about my uncle's partner, my aunt's, my aunt's death. Mm-hmm. It's just too. But I can write about things happened twenty some odd years ago. Sure. Yeah. But I think that um, you have to be in a good place to write about it. Yeah. It's a reflection exercise more than anything. Yeah. That's a that's a very well 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 put phrase, mm. a reflection exercise, and you just um, there's something about write poetry that's just almost sort of part of me wants to be eliotic in the sort of detached observer way mm-hmm. in a poem. But I, I, a lot of it, of my writing is, um, is so personal in that sense. I, yeah, I guess. Totally. Yeah. With with like your current work, um, what are you kind of currently struggling with um, in in writing? Whether that's craft or content or. Well, I'm wor- I was working on um, a, a new and collected works, mm. and of, I, like poems, essays? poems, okay, poems, okay. poems, yeah. And I 
was just getting everything together and poetry politics happened mm-hmm. um, that's such as life I'm not gonna complain about it too much I was I'm very I was very grateful for Hanif Muhammad Durakib to um for t- believing in me mm. I I know that I'm 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 an acquired taste I've been I've just been trying to get my self together in August I had a stroke oh my gosh the medical condition is bullia <laughs> tell me about Hanif I'm I'm a huge fan of um of Hanif Abdurraki he is one of one of the nicest people and I am there's part of me that is a hardened old liberal and I used to not be a hardened old liberal (laughs) I used to believe in open mics and I used to be very very I used to believe in um, scenes and art scenes in the 20s and he takes me to that place that part of me that's still there that's great and he um he's a really has a lot of character mm-hmm. and i um i have a lot of respect for him yeah i had um i went with western's team to um to cupsy when uh, a couple years ago when we went to um philadelphia and i got to shake his hand there and that was a really surreal experience to me um because I, you know, I'd grown up watching him online, so. Well, let's. I'll tell him you said that. Please do, yeah. I will, I will. I mean, I'm sure he's got no idea who I am, but he's he's come up a couple times on this podcast, so yeah, I like him a lot. The thing I would, the only thing I tell young poets, and also, also older poets, you don't have to be nice, as the movie says. <laughs> you don't have to be nice. Try and be kind. Mm-hmm. It's people don't understand that that. There's a difference in between being nice and being kind. Mm-hmm. And I understand that just because I am good at some things mm-hmm. in, in poetry and because I, I read very well, doesn't mean that I'm morally better than anybody. Sure. I got to prove that by my... I got to... I'm not... I, like, we're all... Like... I can't prove anything by this. I have to prove it by my character. Mm. Not that I'm better or worse than anybody, but it's just that I'm you're just you're human. One of the things that I really stressed me out this decade was being the first African American to have a small press bestseller, mm. and being the one in a lot of places. Never trust anybody. Who wants to be the one mm. in an art scene? Because it's lonely. It's really not nutrient. Um, there's a lot of backbiting. There's a lot of systems of privilege that hurt people, and that if you continue in that that you shouldn't want to be a part of or you should work to dismantle. It's about community is more important. Community or? is more important to me. And going back a little bit, what what is the difference between being nice and being kind? I'm not sure if we flesh Being that nice out. is a sort of emotional affectation. Okay. Being kind is something that's 
complex in regards to situational dynamics. Like, I'll give you an example. Okay. In Tacoma right now. Um, Tacoma, my, you know, they have um, the, the Hilltop Action Coalition. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have, um, in the Hilltop Action Committee, they have they have memes and they have um, social media posts mm-hmm. and they say look at the young people and they uh, who are doing really good uh, in the community this is this person is an exemplar mm-hmm. they have a young brother who's doing um, free labor mm-hmm. and it's like this person is an exemplar in the community he's doing free labor for us he is really let's give him a compliment for just doing this for us that's being nice mm-hmm. being kind is finding his gpa and helping him get up mm. helping him get scholarship i see being kind is giving him agency mm-hmm. being kind is you know in like the black church they mm-hmm. have a lot of look at the our ideal sister who is putting in all this work tireless work for us being nice is saying all oh, this you know let's let's exalt this sister as the quote unquote best of us being kind is getting her paid mm. and that's why you don't have to be nice but you should be kind. kind yeah yeah that makes sense i always kind of uh inevitably end up talking about um the the art that the artist doesn't like maybe make all that often or, or okay. maybe wants to and and i was just kind of curious um so on the stranger you said that you can turn the blues different colors and i think you talked about that in your writing <laughs> i did um and you also said you you wanted to lead uh sing lead vox in a parody r&b cover band so i guess tell me about what's your relationship with music what does that mean to you i was my grandmother's dj and drink man mm. and if you um see me on social media I always play right. I always play YouTube clips of records, mm-hmm. and I do that because I would play records to make my grandmother smile. My grandmother ran a pool hall for twenty eight years. She had she, she took the best records that she when they were off when they were off the rotation. So she had a very vast repertoire of uh, black music and American music in the 20th century and but she also was you know was hip enough to like um like like really dig prints mm-hmm. I remember um I had I was nine years old and Ice-T had the power record and I was nine, and it was having, you know, I was getting into girls. <laughs> so I looked at, so I kind of looked at the uh, the cover. Of course. <laughs> um, and I really didn't pay that much attention to the music. Um, so my grandmother found out. And she decided, uh, like, like, first of all, she cussed me out. Ooh. And then she said, boy, I'm going to give your black ass cultural education. August 14th, 1987. She took me down 
the steps of her basement. Freeze that image. Let me explain her basement. Okay. My grandmother had the greatest basement I have ever seen in my life. Bar. Card table. Lamp. Lamp. 2,300 records. Wow. Record player. Stereo system. Stereo system. Television. Room where my uncle stayed. In the, on, on the side. She put me four records. She played me What's Going On. She played Inner Visions. She played Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace. Mm. And she played Prince's Play in the Sunshine. Prince's um, Silent Times. Mm. And I can tell you when, you know, music got in my veins. I don't mean it. It's a coarse metaphor, forgive me. But I grabbed my, like, mono piano chords to play in the sunshine. And the song, play in the sunshine, wanna be free. And my grandmother grabbed my, 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 my hands. And my grandmother was having a hard struggle walking, but she danced around a little card table with, with, with around me. And that's when I knew what music meant. Mm-hmm. And that's when I knew what art meant. To give a straight, more straightforward answer to your question, I would love to do a, still do a parody of R&B band. Because <laughs> R&B is ripe for parody. The sort of genre tropes. Girl, I'm comparing you to an object because I'm scared of intimacy. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, that's funny. So please, uh, let, let's also talk about um, Fuck a Self-Help Book. How did that come to be? I saw that on your website and I was like, whoa, that's that's left field. Uh, is this, I'm sure this is a green-friendly podcast. Oh, of course. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, sometimes we smoked on the podcast, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I just want to spread a lot of joy and laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to get that out again. Um, uh, fuck a self-help book. Um, just kind of, you know. Um, so for people who don't know, it's, it's a collection of memes, it's, right? It's, it's, a collection of, it's a collection of memes. Um, um, you can find it on at robertlashley at weebly.com. As you, hear the, as you hear this, it will be up. I just wanted to my friends to laugh mm-hmm. you know and, and spread joy and and um you know and kind of be be witty and mordant and funny and i like that yeah <laughs> and as someone who's so like prolific i mean you got um like poetry fiction nonfiction, opinion pieces cultural critiques um and from each of these branches like avenues where you can publish them indie small press all these different places um, a freelancing so I guess how do you navigate your work um, and how do you decide what is worth your time and what isn't I have a harder time than than I admit than I care to admit <laughs> sometimes I just like one thing that I'll tell young younger writers is it I when I'm when I'm when I'm on when I'm writing it's whatever is in my brain at the time. Mm. Is to get it to come out. If it's essay, work on the essay. If it's if it's a draft, work on a draft of fiction. If it's a if it's a if it's um 
if it's a meme, work on a meme. Just, mm. just whatever floats your boat. But also, also, you know, we're in the light. We're, at least I say this in the library. Mm-hmm. Develop the boat. Mm-hmm. Like to quote the witty uh, satirists, uh, "The Lonely Island." <laughs> Take a good long look at the motherfucking boat. <laughs> Read, read more, and just after you read more, read after, read more after that. It's That's a great there. answer. So, you, so you're you're saying, yeah, it, it's not necessarily about overthinking any sort of strategy. It's follow your heart. Do do what do what you want to ex- express and put in the world. Yeah. Um, a couple years ago, I actually was when I met you for the first time in Elizabeth Cullen's class, and I remember at that time you had mentioned that you were working on a novel. And is that okay to talk about? I can, yeah, I can I, cut I'm this. I'm still working on it. It's called If I Never Went Home Again. It is a novel told by a uh, former black conservative who is a recovering drug addict who um, is trying to find out what happened to his brother mm. who used to be uh, a DJ in, uh, in the most notorious Tacoma gangster rap group that never was. Mm. Um, the 11th Street Assassins were um, in the novel were, were uh, sort of a uh, are, are my t- my take on uh, NWA and um, and um, and that in that they were kind of a pastiche together like fake like gangster rap band that got a little that's popularity they had a hard time dealing with and that. Um, they one of the things that happened is that his brother, um, they found his brother uh, hung from a tree, mm. and that haunted um, it was him. They haunted his mother, that haunted um, his family, and and one of the things is that that, that when the gangster rap group has a comeback um, after a um, stand-in for a little yachty uh, samples one of their songs, mm-hmm. a journalist. Who, who tried to find out what happened to the group in, in 20 years ago mm-hmm. hires him to try and find out actually what happened to his brother and what and what happened to the group. Mm-hmm. That's a novel. Wow. Okay. And is this your first? Um, is this this is like the first novel that you're writing? Yep. Uh, I'm sure like the I guess longest piece of fiction. Um, and I guess like what what inspired you to do that? What inspired me to do that was growing up in Tacoma. Mm. And seeing so many people who weren't about that life. Mm. And seeing so many people who now aren't about that life, but want to pretend to be about that life. I moved in both places. I was a busing kid. I had privileges. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to school in University Place. I lived in Tacoma. It was very hard to go and see what really happened in the Project Industrial Complex in in Hilltop in the 90s mm-hmm. um, and then go to school and see kids of all colors mm-hmm. dressing like fucking clowns mm. I'll be like brutally honest it, a lot of that shit started with NWA mm. if I told you the son of somebody who ran a postal post office the son of the groundskeeper for UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, the son of somebody who worked for the government. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound like gangsta. That doesn't sound like people about their life. Right. 
I have just described Easy E, Ice Cube, mm. and MC Ren. And you knew that at the time. Like a very um if if you're if if um if 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 your audience doesn't know 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 this, Chris Rock was in a movie called C B four about middle class kids who played gangster and got into that into into a lot of messed so up. It was kind of a front. It was a front. Like I was just processing being so angry at so many suburban kids cosplaying my misery and in a, to a larger longer extent my neighborhood's misery. Wow. And it's always been a thing for me. That's always been a thing that bothered the hell out of me. Yeah. To thine own self be true. Willie Shakespeare wasn't fucking around. And wh- where are you at in the novel writing process? Oh, no, I, I, it's actually, it's, I sent it out to a publisher. Oh, wow. It's 84,712 words. Wow. It's about 265 pages. I feel really good about it. That's exciting. That's really exciting. Congratulations. But I'm also in a place where if, that, where I know that I'm a, I'm a novice. Mm-hmm. I've, I've I've improved a lot. I have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, and they didn't accept it, that doesn't mean that the publisher isn't wonderful. Always more opportunities. I Always more opportunity to, to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. I look forward to their input because I, I paid twenty eight dollars for um, to to um to send it out, and they give the input if you pay that much money. Mm. Gotcha. We're a long ways from this, but I guess going back to upsell, <laughs> a lot of it comes from. Um, your your relatives from Mississippi, right? Like up south. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm just curious. Um, wh- what is the role of place in your writing? Like, what? Why? Why was it important that you grew up in Washington, and how does that affect your way that you wrote, write? That's a very good question, because there weren't that many homes for me, mm-hmm. and 1987, my grandmother tries to. And that some stability in my life. Mm-hmm. My mom, we we were moving from place to place because my dad would go into these sort of drug tantrums where he'd, and he'd threaten, he'd say, kill you and get away with it. Ooh. And then he'd say he was sorry. What happened was my grandmother just said, you can't do this anymore. And my uncles uh, beat him up. And they tried very valiantly to establish a safe place for us. And they established a a, a system that helped my mother um, in regards to babysitting. And also get out of the neighborhood and get into a... And and have the down payment for a small house. Mm -hmm. And... um, so like my home is sort of elder black people that's the safest place in the world for me mm-hmm. and thinking about that now also thinking about that very sadly because Tacoma's changing Tacoma's not a black neighborhood anymore mm-hmm. and there's, there's consequences for that mm-hmm. where you have a community that demand that demands um, black people to do things for them 
like emotional labor for them, which you know, that's part of the course of living in America. Mm-hmm. But to do it in a place that was so safe for yeah. so long, and to quote unquote not have a home to write for anymore, that's tough for me. How does how does like as Bellingham fit into all this for you? Because you've been here for a while, haven't you? I wish I could give you a better answer. Mm-hmm. I Bellingham has become pleasant for me. Mm-hmm. I have a very select friend network. Mm-hmm. I am financially stable because of the passing of my mother. Mm. So like the last five years, Bellingham has been very livable. For the previous 13 before, it was not. Mm. And poetry played a great deal in that. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I tried to read at the... um, Wacom Poetry Association. It, I thought it went well, and the next time I show up for a, a show to you know be a part of a community, somebody gives me their keys as a joke, you know, to show me that you know that they're the valet. Ugh. And eleven years later. Oh my God. Eleven years later, I bring this up at a poetry reading, and it still gets laughs, and that's. When I knew I had to go. Yeah. That the quote unquote poetry community, I'm never going to have a community here. Mm. I'll put on all my credentials when saying this. A lot of Bellingham poets really need to check their egos and resentments at the door. Mm. And they just really need to be kinder to each other. And they need to be kinder to the community. Mm. Wise words. If you're working the night shift, and you're doing your 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 cleaning carpets, um, at at a business office, and you're trying to pay bills. That person ain't got time for your aesthetic. Mm. And that person ain't got time to hear. Well, I don't like this poet because he's a slam poet, or I don't like this poet because she writes for the page. I don't like this poet, and I don't like this poet. People got bills, dog. Yeah, just even people that I know, and I know exactly what you're talking about. You understand? It's like, maybe I'm burnt out, but I don't want to be famous. I've had that apple. didn't work for me. It works for other people. Some people can do it well. Mm-hmm. Some people can navigate it beautifully. But it just doesn't work for me. What I, what I would love to be and I think I can be for the rest of my life. It's, it's kind of like my Uncle Mo. It's to kind of a teacher. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, you like this? Let me tell you about this poet. Oh, hey, you like this poet? Let me tell you about this poet. Mm-hmm. But I'll still write. I'll still stand stuff out. Mm-hmm. I will watch the wheel go round and round. How I love to watch it roll. Mm-hmm. No longer going around the merry-go-round. Mm-hmm. I just had to let it go. To quote John Lennon. Now this is, I guess this is kind of an abstract question. Um, so feel free to speculate or whatever. But I guess um, the culture that you're in and, and everything around you has, has really shaped the way that you write. So I guess how would it have been different if you um, had grown up down south in Mississippi versus up south up here? I, that's a good question. I have to think about it. 
I think I'd have been different. Mm-hmm. Like that's where I consider myself very lucky mm-hmm. because I had such a breathtaking range of of sources and breathtaking range of sources for education. Mm-hmm. My mom, my aunts, my grandparents, my uncles, my grandfather. That was just I had a grad school cultural education. Mm-hmm. Um um at a very young age mm-hmm. sometimes that didn't um jibe well mm-hmm. you can't be in the fourth grade quoting Richard Pryor <laughs> you can't be in the fourth grade quoting Ray Charles gosh I can just see that I just have a mental image of that <laughs> the older that I got the way I could synthesize it but also the way I could synthesize their work ethic, their in, their character, their sense of self. What my mom, the range of literature my mom gave me. Mm-hmm. Like like my last essay that I wrote was an ode to my mom, um, and it was also an ode to Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. So I I did not realize how hard losing Toni for her. I was crying for a week, mm. and I realized why. Because my mom gave me Toni Morrison. My mom graduated with a um, uh, major in Latin American Lit and a minor in African American Lit in 1973. The most important writer in her life mm. was Toni Morrison. So, like, that was Toni Morrison books were events. And also, the kind of the range of mid to late 20th century post canon. African uh, literature, African American African American literature, to be indoctrinated into that at a very early age was just something that I I just relish. Mm. So my obituary for Toni Morrison was my obituary for my mother. Just wow! It was it's called you could you can read it on Medium. It's called if I could if I could hear my mother read again. And, and it's how Glennis Wilson gave me Toni Morrison. Okay, well, um, I mean, it's it's been an hour. We're about done. I would love to give the, the floor and the microphone to you. Just anything that you would like to add that I didn't ask that you would like to talk about? Any shout-outs or advice or things you want to promote? Poets. Two books a week. Nothing harder than weed. <laughs> and remember this most important proverb from the ODB. Wu-Tang. Is for the children. I'm out. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming by. You're very welcome. <laughs>